0: Morning everybody. Good morning, it's kind of warm in here, huh? Yeah. June? Must be August or something like that. Uh, I was with some friends yesterday uh, camping in Delta. It was great. Uh, I was talking with one of my friends though and we were talking about how uh, it's been such a crazy summer of hamburgers and camping and uh, making the most out of the sun that I think A few of us are ready for fall. I know that uh, some people don't want to hear that yet, but uh, maybe that's you. Uh, But I know that August is here, and we're starting to think about uh, what's coming up. So before we get into today's sermon, I want to give you a few just quick announcements. We mentioned last week uh, our small groups are going to be starting up soon. This is a way that we do fellowship, connection, Bible study, prayer together. And uh, we're looking for some new families to host. So if you love to be hospitable, and like to have people over in your home, I encourage you to come out for t- just 10 minutes between services next week. Uh, it'll be after the first service ends, so probably about uh, with that 10.40, something like that. We'll just talk for 10 minutes. What's involved? Uh, what does it look like? Uh, hopefully that might be you, so we can get some more places for people to connect here. Uh, also, uh, as you're looking at what your fall is going to kind of pan out to be, I hope you guys will look in your bulletins, see the opportunities we have there particularly to work with kids. We have an Awana ministry here, which is awesome. We have children's ministry, we have nursery. And uh, we need you guys uh, to invest in, in these kids as, as well. Uh, we love the kids here. Uh, we want to disciple them well. So consider if that's maybe a way you can serve. Uh, last thing, um, next week we're starting a new adult Sunday school class. Uh, survey the New Testament upstairs. So you can always come for a service, stick around uh, for the... Uh, Sunday school class. I came for the worship service, but stayed for the Sunday school class. Okay. I don't know about that, but let's pray. Lord, my heart is uh, happy to be here uh, with my brothers and sisters uh, for us to be able to consider your word, um, to consider um, just what you put there for us to kind of take to heart. So I pray, Holy Spirit, as I always do, just uh, drive it home. Uh, Make it personal for each one listening where we would uh, consider what's going on in our lives, and how that intersects what you have to say in this word. Uh, we want open hearts and open, open lives to you. So, uh, Lord, we take down our guard. Help us to hear what you have to say. For your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I think there's um, a list of things we can each think of in our life where we choose to do, even though we know it's going to hurt a little bit. First thing that comes to my mind is going to the dentist, Right? Or maybe for you it's working out, going to the gym. Or it could even be something as normal as going to work. Uh, And we will do these things that we know will cost us and it will hurt us a little bit because oftentimes we know there's a benefit to it, right? You go to the dentist, you want healthy teeth, you want to keep your teeth a long time. You work out because you want to, again, be healthy or have your clothes fit better or whatever. And even for going to work, you want to pay the bills, right? Uh, So we see the benefit in these things. But I think there's another category of things that we choose to do in life, and we know they're going to hurt. And this time, though, uh, we do them, even though we know most likely we are fighting a losing battle. Uh, And some of these losing battles that we choose to fight can seem pretty lighthearted. We can say, this is going to be the summer. Every last dandelion in my yard must go. Or we say, this is going to be the day I'm going to engage with my peers on Facebook in a relevant, meaningful way, and everyone's going to play nice. Or for me, uh, the number one losing battle that I often will choose to fight is cleaning projects around the house, right? The crawl space, part of the garage. Um, My most recent one uh, was the bathroom closet. And uh, I'm, I'm a morning person. I get my energy early in the day. And uh, while my family is still kind of groggy and not aware of what's going on, I will sneak to a part of the house and just get to it and start cleaning something. Uh, So I will uh, shut my kids out of there who are in great fear because they know something's going to get thrown away. Uh, I'll just be like, nothing to see here. Move along. This is not the the cleaning father you're looking for. (laughs) And uh, after two hours of pulling everything out and cleaning it up and sorting towels by size and going through all sorts of, potions and lotions and all things I don't even know what they are and categorizing them, putting them in boxes, restacking the towels by category. I don't go like color by color, but uh, I look at my results and I think, Adam, you fool. (laughs) The results will quickly fade. This closet will return to chaos before you know it. But I enjoy it for that brief moment uh, and I still do throw out like a full garbage bag full of stuff. But some of these things are losing battles when we say... Well, there doesn't seem to be a lasting benefit. Why even bother? Chaos always seems to win. I mean, don't you ever feel sometimes in life like just giving up in some area, like maybe some small area? And I'll say this, uh, sometimes it's okay to give up and walk away, especially if that losing battle is something lighthearted. It's really no huge loss if the dandelions win, okay, for me at least. I think we've been in our home four years, and so far it's dandelions four, pivots zero. Uh, We we put out a good effort this year, but we'll try again next year. But we have to say we know not all of our uh, tough battles in life are lighthearted ones. Sometimes they're deadly serious, like when we're trying to help out a friend or a family member out of a really tough situation or addiction even that seems intractable. Or we might be trying to share the gospel with that one person. You know who that one person is probably in your life, and you think they're just never going to hear. They just don't want to have anything to do with God. But we know, uh, especially when it gets to these more serious issues in our lives, it's important and worthwhile to stay in the game and fight the good fight, even though we know that it most likely will be painful for us. And even though we know the good results that we're after could be elusive, or maybe short-lived, or just totally, utterly eclipsed by the next wave of chaos that comes tumbling through the woods. And when you're in that place of fighting an important but seemingly hopeless battle, you probably want and you need a little encouragement to stay in the ring. Good news, that's what our passage in Ecclesiastes is about today. Our message is this straight-up, sharp bark from the coach on the sidelines saying, stick to your training And stay in the fight. Don't give up. And the thing that our coach, who in this case is our coach King Solomon, is urging us to stick to, it's something specific. Specifically, he wants us to stick to the harder, more frustrating path of wisdom over the easier and more popular path of foolishness. So I want to be clear here, this message today doesn't apply to each and every battle you might be facing but it's one very important one that we all have to face. It's the battle of living wisely, living God's way, in a world that seems hell-bent sometimes on living foolishly in ways that depart from God's best. And uh, I do need to just give us a little bit of a working definition of living wisely or wisdom, because Solomon doesn't spell it out for us in the passage exactly, or not even really in Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to, talk about wisdom and living wisely like this. It's doing things God's way, living skillfully in a world that he made. He designed it. He knows how it works. And we need to do it his way. And this will trickle down into everything from our work ethic to the words that we use to interact with people to our morality, are we going to do things God's way or just go along with what all our friends are doing and even our inclination to serve others Over serving ourselves. So that's kind of a broad definition for wisdom, but we need it so we can see the relevance of it here. And in this passage we're going to read today in Ecclesiastes, King Solomon's going to bring us to this fork in the road. He's saying, You've got a choice. You can live by wisdom or you can live by foolishness. And he's going to say, Well, I'm going to encourage you to take the more exasperating but better path of wisdom, even though it's painful. And even though at times it seems like you're fighting a losing battle. So our question we're going to chase down is, well, why should I choose the path of wisdom over folly when it seems like it's a losing battle? Uh, If you want to hear it in a different way, you can always say, well, why should I bother swimming upstream in this current of a crazy world where it's just easier to float downstream? Why put up a fight? Why should I bother doing things God's way when it's just easier to go along with the foolishness of the crowd Solomon's got something to say about this. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to pull them out on your phone, or in front of you there. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, midway through in verse 13. Ecclesiastes 9:13. And just as you flip over there to chapter nine, uh, I'll remind you where we're at in our sermon series. We're talking about life in the real world, uh, which is Solomon's kind of teaching us how to live well uh, in life under the sun. Uh, life at the ground level, where we're all at. And uh, if you were here last week, you, mean, uh, you remember, or you might remember, that I said, We're nearing the end of the book. Solomon's almost done with the entire book. He's driving it home towards a big conclusion at the end, which we'll hit either next week or the week after. But on his way to his big conclusion, he kind of has these kind of two preliminary conclusions. It's like his small conclusions on the way to his big one. Last week was, well, Uh, death is certain, so you better make the most of opportunities now. And this week, he's going to say wisdom is still the best path, even though it is a hard path. So let's read about this uh, in our Bibles uh, in chapter 9, starting in verse 13. And Solomon's going to start out with a little story uh, for us and then a few principles that he gets from that story. Uh, He says there in chapter 9, verse 13, he says, well, I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it and surrounded it and dealt huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. Okay, so that's the story, and then he gives the principles. The moral of the story, in verse 16, he says, So I said, wisdom's better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom's despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom's better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Okay, let's pause right there. Uh, Now that story and those principles that I read just now, that's not the whole of our passage today, but I will say it's the most important part. Um, uh, This really uh, story that he lays out in in the principles are the keys to understanding the rest of chapter 10, which we're going to read in a little bit, in which I I would say too that chapter 10 can seem a little bit confusing to us at times. But uh, don't worry if we can get the story and get his principles, the rest of it kind of falls in line. And again, our question is, well, why should I choose the path of wisdom over folly when it's a losing battle? And Solomon's short story answers the question, by making two observations. And I'm going to give you both of these up front uh, at the same time. So these are both your sermon points if you're the note-taking type. And the reason why is, is, is uh, you're going to see as we go through the passage, it's pretty tricky to try to separate these two points. We should choose the path of wisdom because choosing to live wisely is good, even though living wisely is frustrating. It's good, it has benefits, but it also will drive you nuts sometimes. Two sides to the same coin. You can't have one without the other. So let's, let's kind of examine this story a little bit more closely there. He starts out in verse 13... He says, I also saw this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. I think we need to just take that in, just that statement there. Because consider who's talking. This is King Solomon. Um, He's lived quite the life. He's been around the block a few times. He was the ruler of a very prosperous kingdom that uh, extended its influence into the ancient Near East. And he had great knowledge. And despite all that he had seen, And experienced and examined, he says, you know what? This one little nugget made a big impact on me. Maybe you guys have, like, certain life lessons that you, you know, whenever, you you know, my dad taught me long ago. uh, I think I lost to him in checkers. And he says, watch your opponent when you play a game. That'll teach you how to play better. That's a nugget that stuck with me. And you guys probably have things like that, too, where you're like, that was a life lesson I learned and it stuck out. This is one of Solomon's. So what happened here? He says, well, verse 14, let me tell you you what I saw. He says, there was once a small city with only a few people, little town, little people, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it and built huge siege works against it. Okay, pause the story right here, and we all know what the Vegas odds are going to say on how this story ends, right? Big guy beats up the little guy, takes everything he wants. That's the end. But he says, ah, no there's actually two surprise endings to this story. Surprise ending one, there's a hero. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, little man in a little town, if I can put it that way. And he saved the city by his wisdom. So there's this unexpected hero in this little town with a little people. There's a little person, if I can put it that way. Basically a nobody, a man poor but wise. Doesn't say he was old. I don't know if you think of him as young or old, just as he was poor. And he was the hero who saved this town by his wisdom. And the word he, the pronoun he there, it's emphatic in the, in the Hebrew. So it's like Solomon's making a appointment saying, and this is the guy, this nobody's the one who saved against this powerful king with a great, you know, army around the city. Who would have thought? And I'm really dying to know the details here. I mean, I wish someone, come on, Solomon, give us a little bit more here. What did he say? What did he do? Was it a trick? Was it uh, an act of kindness or humility? What did he do in his wisdom that that changed the game here? Uh, But we don't know. The point is, is that he saved the city, this nobody, through his wisdom. And that's the main part of the story. That's surprise ending number one. But surprise ending number two follows closely on its heels. And this one's a little bit ironic. End of verse 15, Solomon just says, but nobody remembered that poor man. Well, that's gratitude for you. Impossible situation, unlikely hero, surprise, victory, right? This is, the, this is a great Hollywood movie in the making here. And then, eh, no one remembers the guy. And as we're going to see, no one holds on to what he had to say either. It's quickly forgotten once the threat has passed. But it's this story about the little town and the powerful king and one man's wisdom, where Solomon gets his principles that are going to lead us the rest of the way today. He reflects on what happens, and he says in verse 16, he says, you know, wisdom's better. Wisdom's better than strength. But the poor man wisdom's despised, and his words are no longer heeded. They stop listening to whatever he had to say. In other words, wisdom is this powerful, beautiful, useful Thing, but it's not valued in and of itself. And then Solomon adds to this principle, he kind of amplifies it a little bit in verse 17 by saying it a different way. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom's better than weapons of war, but one center destroys much good. Wisdom's precious. Doing things well, doing things God's way, it's potent but it's a glass cannon, powerful, but easily broken. And Solomon says as much with his illustration that he leads off chapter 10 with. We already read it in verse 1. Chapter 10, 1 says, As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. It's quite a word picture there, right? Uh, Especially appropriate, since I mentioned, cleaning up my bathroom closet with ointments and this kind of thing. I think you get the idea here, but just for fun, I wanted to put that last verse in math terms. Okay, some of you are mathematically inclined. This is the math way of saying it. F over 100, a little bit of folly. That means one one-hundredth of a bit of folly is greater than W plus H. Wisdom plus honor. As impressful, impressive and useful as wisdom is, this seems like a losing battle against folly. Just a little dab is enough to overturn not just wisdom, but wisdom and honor. It doesn't take a lot of dead flies to ruin a whole lot of perfume. And sometimes it feels like it doesn't take a whole lot of foolishness to overturn the good that comes out by wisdom. So again, we ask the question, well, why bother? Why bother choosing the path of wisdom over folly when it seems like a losing battle? I mean, if it has this much potential to wipe away the good of wisdom, why waste time? You can't fight crazy, right? If you can't beat him, why not join him? But if Solomon's going to show us through the rest of chapter 10, well, no, it's what I said. Choosing to live wisely is good, even though it is frustrating. And Solomon's going to drive this one point home in a very unusual way through the rest of chapter 10. He's going to give us a movie montage Of sorts, right? You know what a montage is? It's like you, I think of like Rocky IV, where Rocky's training for the big fight and they show him hitting the bag or doing push ups or whatever crazy things. And then after the end of a 60 second montage, you get the idea he's ready to fight. And that's what Solomon's going to do here. He's going to give us this series of images back to back so that we get the idea here but I already pointed out that the key to understanding chapter 10 is this story that we just read and the principles, and hopefully that's clear enough. Wisdom's good, but it's fragile. And these are the principles. This story is gonna be like the coat hanger that we're gonna drape the rest of chapter 10 over, this list of illustrations, this movie montage. And Solomon's gonna show us through these illustrations all about wisdom and folly and frustration. So we're gonna get this choppy, Series of short images all edited together in chapter 10. And Solomon's going to say, you know what? This is what wisdom's like. This is what folly's like. This is the frustration that can come from it. And this is what happens when you try to live God's way in a mixed up world. And as frustrating as it is to us, he doesn't separate them in neat and tidy rows like someone might in a garden where you say, these are my peas, these are my carrots, here's my zucchini, right? But I believe he's doing this purposefully as a writer to jumble them all together and mix them up and say, well, here's some wisdom and folly and frustration and folly again and wisdom again. He jumps back and forth because he knows in the real world, life where we live, it's not a neat and tidy garden where your zucchini's all on the line and your carrots are all on the line. It's more like an Alaskan hillside, right? Beautiful. But okay, here's your fireweed. There's a sinkhole. There's some raspberries, another sinkhole, and some critters. It's, it's all a mess. But he, had, he expects us to take in this movie montage of sorts, wisdom, foolishness, frustration, just let it cascade over us. So that the, that the time we get to the end of it, the end of chapter 10, we get to the conclusion, yeah, I see it. Uh, living wisely, living God's way, it is uh, good, but it is frustrating. And it's still the better path in contrast to the destruction that a life of folly will bring. So we're going to try something risky here. Uh, We're going to just read through chapter 10, this movie montage of sorts. Wisdom, folly, frustration, just the way Solomon gave it to us uh, without much commentary at first. And I'm going to warn you, it's going to seem a little choppy, clear in some parts, uh, unclear or disconnected in others. Uh, But again, I want us to get the effect here. Wisdom, folly, frustration, it's never an inly-lined rose. It's all jumbled up, and if you're going to be bold enough to live wisely, you're going to have to do it in the real world where you're ever against the backdrop of a world of folly. So just uh, open up your Bibles. Let's read along here and catch what glimpses of folly and wisdom and frustration you can see, and then afterwards we'll unpack it a little bit. And don't worry if you don't get all the, the first time through, right? I just want us to hear it the way that Solomon gave it to us so we get the effect why live wisely, even though it's a uh, losing battle? It's still the better path, Solomon says. Someone might ask, well, what do wisdom and folly look like, oh, King Solomon? He says, let me tell you. The music starts up, right? I'm glad you asked. Chapter 10, verse 2, he says, The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense, and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. There's an evil I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits laws may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before its charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, their wicked madness. And fools multiply words. No one knows what's coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They don't know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king's of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Feasts made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money's the answer for everything. Do not revile the king in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom, because the bird in the sky may carry your words and the bird on the wing may report what you say. Okay, a lot of verses to take in there, a lot of confusing stuff, I think, even too. But this is Solomon's montage of wisdom, folly, frustration. And again, what I think he's after here is he wants to illustrate the point he already made with the story. Choosing wisdom is good, it's beneficial, even though it can be frustrating at times because folly's ever-present, ready to overturn the apple cart. And we're not going to take the time to go through all of chapter 10 verse by verse, but I do want to highlight a few verses out of this just to make sure we get, we get what's going on here and understand a little bit better. Uh, right up front there in verse 2, he lays out this twin path of folly and wisdom. Right? He says, The heart of the wise inclines to the right... But the heart of the fool to the left. Wisdom and folly are as different as night and day. They go opposite directions. And then, if we're going to try to make an orderly garden of peas and carrots here and put all the folly verses together, what's folly like? Verse three, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Verse 15, the toil of fools wearies them, they don't know the way to town. Verse 18, Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. And just summarizing those verses kind of in a cluster there, folly shows itself by being lazy, irresponsible, and careless, even with the most basic of tasks and information. And this is one that Solomon hits on. Folly talks. Verse 12. Fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, their wicked madness And fools multiply words. No one knows what's coming. Who can tell someone else will happen after them? And he's saying here, fools speak too quickly. They say too much and often about things they know nothing about. And they hurt themselves and others when they do it. And I do want to kind of take a a side note here and just explain one of the more mysterious parts of this chapter, if you will, uh, verse 11, because I think this has to do with speaking as well. It says, if a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. What on earth is this about? We don't have snake charmers in Fairbanks. None that I've met, right? Well, I think the snake he's talking about here is the tongue. And the reason why, there's, there's one reason in the language, but there's also the way that he's he's put it with the other sayings on speaking here. Um, but a lot of the English translations, I think, um, do a bit of a disservice to this. And in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's a little bit more li- literal like this. If a snake bites before it's uh, enchanted, the, the master of the tongue, the master of the tongue, receives no benefit. Pretty common words: master, tongue. Uh, a lot of English translations kind of squish it together and say, "Oh, he's talking about a charmer." But really, the point there is you have to master your tongue, like someone would master a snake, because if you don't, you're going to get yourself into trouble. It's about speaking foolishly. And last, those who are on this path of folly, they're absorbed. Uh, with their own pleasure. Verse 16, it says, Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Start the party early in the morning, breakfast of champions. That's what it's all about. And these are the people in charge. And yet these people are often in places of power and authority and they are hurting the people that they're looking after. It's saying, 'This saying this ain't the way things are supposed to be, but sadly it is the way, often the way things are. But he says, there's some good news in the midst of this mess. There's still wisdom for those who choose to walk in its ways. What does it look like? Again, trying to make the garden straight here. Verse 4, wisdom keeps its cool. If a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Wisdom, if I can put it this way, is a life hack. It makes some tasks, some things easier. Verse 10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength's needed, but skill will bring success. Do it God's way. He made the universe. He knows it a little bit better than we do. And the words of the wise, uh, big contrast here to the fools, they're kind, they're measured, and they're few. Verse 12, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. Verse 20, don't revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird may carry your words and a bird in the wing may report what you say. And like that poor man in that story about the small city, the wise are a blessing and a benefit to others. Verse 17 says, Blessed is the land whose kings of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time, not in the morning, for strength and not for drunkenness. They're not absorbed with seeking their own pleasure, but they're seeking to serve other people Well, and wisdom, folly, that's not the only thing that's in this montage. There's also this note of frustration. Despite the good that wisdom brings to others, it can be frustrating. It gets demoted. It gets put down while foolishness foolishness gets raised up. Like the poor man in the story, wisdom often gets forgotten once the immediate threat is passed. And there's even some collateral damage to living wisely and doing things God's way. Solomon, I think, addresses this in verse 9 when he says... Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. And I think that quarrying stones and uh, splitting logs, they're both viewed pretty positively here. They're both things of industry, things that you'd want to do to construct and build and make useful things. And I suspect what's going on here in this context of Solomon showing us wisdom and folly is Solomon saying, hey, even if you're doing something useful, like getting stones or wood that you're going to build with, you got to expect some collateral damage. It comes with the territory. And if this is the case with getting wood and stones, how much more so is it the case if you try to live wisely for God? There's going to be some collateral damage. What you're doing, what you're trying to do is good for you and for other people, but it's not always going to go the way you want it to go. And you need to know that if you're going to stay the course. And if you're going to keep at it. But like we said, living, choosing to live wisely is good, even if it's frustrating. Yes, it can seem like a losing battle, but Solomon's saying there's still value to living God's way, doing things with the life of wisdom for you, for others, even though it's a tough road, so stick to it. So bottom line, he's saying, live wisely even though it hurts. Do the things God's way even though it costs you. Uh, My wife always quotes to me with a smile. She says, if you want to be popular, sell ice cream. But if you want to live wisely for God, there's a bit of a price to pay. Know that and pay it, because it's worth it. Now, uh, as we wrap up here, I just want to talk real briefly about application. I don't think there's a ton. I think it's one specific thing, but uh, let me just say that... um, Despite all these illustrations of wisdom and folly in chapter 10, this chapter uh, is not really an extensive how-to guide on how to live wisely. That's more the book of Proverbs. Solomon also pulled that together, a great book to read. Many of you know that book well. And in the book of Proverbs, it starts out that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all comes back to this fear of God, this respect for God, respect for the way that he's made the universe, and all of the things that he's mentioned in chapter 10. Wisdom's practical outworkings. Keep your cool, watch your words, work hard, and live to serve other people, not yourselves. This all comes out of this acknowledgement of God and respect for him. So to live wisely means that we do things his way instead of our way. It's his universe, his rules. We need to live in line with him, and to do so is walk in wisdom. But like I said, this is not a how-to passage. This is a message of encouragement. This passage is written to remind us the value of living wisely despite the cost. And because of that, I think the prime application for you, for me, is just one thing, and that's don't give up. Don't give up in doing the things of God. Don't give up in living his way. Even though someone at your work or in your family hates your guts and gets mad, Every time you talk about Jesus or do something that shows that you're living for him, I mean, do it wisely, do it well, Uh, but stick with it. Even though the good things that seem to come out of a life following Jesus seem to be hard won or short-lived at times, he's saying stick with it. Stay in the game. Keep your eye on the prize and take heart because there is value to you and to others when you consistently live wisely for God. Live wisely even though it hurts. Uh, before we go to our time of the Lord's Supper, let's just pray. Lord, uh, we, we give you glory. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you took on human flesh and chose to live in a very messed up, crazy world, simple world, obedient to the Father, living wisely, living well, And it cost, it costs you a lot. But we rejoice in your example. And we pray, um, Holy Spirit, show us where the rubber meets the road this week for each of us. Encourage those who need encouragement. uh, But help us to live well, live wisely for you. That you would be glorified. In Jesus' name. Now, uh, we're going to move to a time of the Lord's Supper. If you've been invited to serve, I'd encourage you to get up and uh, help with that. Uh, Many of you have been here with us before uh, during our time of communion. If you haven't, I'd like to give you a little bit of instruction here. Uh, If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've put your trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to participate and join us. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to pass first the bread down each of the aisles. Uh, Feel free to take a piece and hold on to that. And then uh, I'll indicate when we'll all share that together. And we'll do the same thing with the juice when it passes in front of you. Uh, If you're concerned about germs or COVID, that kind of thing, there's going to be, uh, I believe, one in the back. Amber's nodding at me, so just go to the back of the auditorium and Amber will hand you both the juice and the bread that's kind of self-contained. And if you're not yet a Christian or you don't know where you stand, I encourage you to just watch. Let this pass by you and uh, consider. We're celebrating uh, Jesus' death on our behalf. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. We do this to remember Um, the great cost he paid for us. So uh, let's give our hearts to God during this time.